0: It's It's the the New New Mercury Mercury Podcast, Podcast. and here's here's your your host, host, Kyle A. Lohmeyer. And welcome back to the New Mercury Podcast. I am again, Kyle A. Lohmeyer, and uh, all five-ish of my listeners may have noticed that this podcast is out on Thursday, not the usual Wednesday. I apologize for that, but I had a dentist appointment yesterday, and, and as we all know, I've had enough trouble with audio problems here without me trying to record a podcast with half of my head numb. Apparently I metabolized local anesthetics real quick, so they gave me a big old blast at the end to finally get me numb, and that did the trick for like the next six hours. And I noticed um, having half of my face numb did have a noticeable effect on my ability to pronounce words. I kept tripping over my own upper lip, so I gave it a miss until today. So uh, now that I do have all the feeling back in my skull, any weird flubs and gaps you hear is just me. No excuse. So, Tuesday was the most important election of our lifetimes, or at least the second most, depending on which talking heads upon which networks you listen to. For the Salem broadcasting crowd, which is like the local Homer sports talk radio station for Team Republican, this was the second only to 2016 because, as they warned listeners over and over, tax cuts, prosperity, sovereignty, and freedom itself somehow were on the ballot. Of course, on the other side, Tuesday was the most important election ever because it's a chance to undo all the horrible stuff Trump has done while stymieing his efforts to do even more awful stuff for the next two years when Bernie or Biden or Beto, or hell, maybe even Hillary, vie to unseat him. And now that the hype and fanfare are over with and we'll have a few new congressional figureheads whose names we'll need to learn, most Americans will be eager to see some real change now. And they will, of course, be disappointed. Again. Already, the new Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, again, somewhat like returning the new... Anyway, she's signaling a willingness to work with Republicans and Trump, and already GOP leadership is saying that they think they can get some stuff done on infrastructure and maybe some other things with the House and its new Democratic majority. In other words, WrestleMania is over, kiddos. You bought the pay-per-view, you thrilled to the theatrics, you oohed and aahed over the bombast and vitriol, and you giddily watched the spectacle unfold all night. And now it's the next day, and it's back to work, back to business as usual. Your life fundamentally unchanged by whoever happened to win the tag team title. Just like after the last presidential election, and the midterm before that one, and the presidential election before that one, and the preceding midterm, and so on, all the way back to sometimes in the 50s probably, if not further. I'm reminded of Louis Black's joke about how he invariably tries eating a mouthful of candy corn every single year around Halloween like he's some sort of Alzheimer's patient who's always forgetting that he hates the stuff. And it's the same thing. Every two years, the plurality of Americans get all whipped into this civic frenzy. This idea that if they go out and vote really hard this time, then then we'll get some real change. Unlike last time, when we all voted really hard and nothing really changed, and the time before that. Oh yeah, the time before that. Somehow, we all keep forgetting that nothing ever happens. Ever. While simultaneously falling for the scam that this time, oh boy now this time, this time is going to be different. And I I get the allure of this. Hell, I remember naively thinking way, way back in 2000 that we were going to see George W. Bush's regime finally get some justice for Waco or any of the other myriad sins committed by the outgoing Clinton regime. I'll admit that. And, of course, nothing happened. And, blessedly, it is mostly my younger friends and acquaintances who were really jazzed up about voting this time around. Most of my peers in age have gotten at least somewhat as jaded and jaundiced as I have. I do have to laugh at the kiddos now who are salivating at the idea that the now-Democrat-run House can demand Trump's tax returns and launch more Russiagate investigations. But they're true believers, though, so it's, it's cute. They still haven't figured out that this whole myth of Russian interference in the 2016 election is a hobgoblin the government is using to get Americans to want the government to do something about scary fake news on social media. So I don't think we'll be seeing any more investigations into 2016 from the House. I mean, maybe we will. I could be wrong. I've been wrong many, many times before when trying to predict what the government's going to do. But it just seems to me like that plot's been played out. The writers will have something else, some new narrative for 2020 to drive the search to the polls again. That seems more likely to me. And I myself wouldn't have even bothered voting if not for the fact that there was an issue on the ballot that, if it had passed, would have amended Ohio's Constitution to make it damn near impossible for anyone to get a felony for simple drug possession. And I mean, it's exceedingly rare that governments ever give us mere serfs any sort of an opportunity to take back some of that power away from them, so I figured I'd be daft to pass up a chance to vote aye on that one. And after that I just wrote Harambe in where I couldn't vote Libertarian, and then I left all the others blank. Oh, well, yeah, and I voted against all the taxes, of course. But, serfs being serfs, my fellow Ohioans foolishly voted down issue one in huge numbers. So, we'll all be on the hook for some $30,000 per year per head to warehouse a bunch of nonviolent drug offenders. Good thinking. Way to use your federal tax cut, dummies. I am, needless to say, very disappointed in them all. You all whiffed on a chance to take power back from your government. See, this is why I almost never vote. It is just endless disappointment for the most part. And I can only imagine it's got to be much worse if you think choosing a new master will actually help anything, and then that new master isn't the one chosen, but rather the one that you were told is literally Hitler is. I mean, that's got to be devastating, right? (laughs) And that's why I have a moral problem with voting on a couple of levels. First, it is only because we serfs continue to participate in government's various rituals, like voting answering subpoenas, making court dates, paying taxes, going back to jail after work release, etc., that the armed gang gets to maintain its illusion of authority over us. Second, the act of voting for candidates is essentially the act of choosing a master for my neighbor. And I'd like to think I've no more right to do that than he does to choose a master for me. And no one, or leave this office vacant, is never an option on the ballot. That's why I chose to vote for men who wouldn't and didn't win because they didn't run as Republicans or Democrats, and for a dead ape that can't win because it's a dead ape. The fact Harambe had established residency in Ohio prior to his death notwithstanding. Well, then again, that dead brothel owner out in Nevada did win, so, I don't know, they got to have a special election or something happening, I'm sure. Even voting in favor of the library millage, which we were reminded over and over was a renewal and not a new tax, would be me volunteering property that isn't mine to be used in support of something that I I don't really mind, but I still don't have any right to appropriate another's property to pay for it. It's always wrong to hurt people or to take their stuff, even if you're going to buy a library with it for the kiddos to have story time in and for old weirdos with severe body odor to fall asleep in next to a stack of graphic novels. It's still not okay to use other people's property for that end. But, of course, we're told, and I'm sure we've all seen it in our... Facebook news feeds over and over this week and last week, that if we don't vote, we don't have a right to complain. And that people still take that old chestnut seriously is just sad to me. As if having my philosophy on the matter, or just simply being one of the many millions of Americans who can't be bothered to vote for the lousy candidates we're always presented with, renders our opinions about government moot. If anything, shouldn't it be the other way around? Can you complain about the stupid prizes you keep winning if you keep insisting on playing the stupid game? I mean, that makes about as much sense as me complaining about sitting here with this ice pack on my shoulder because I keep going to the archery range. My achy shoulder, like Americans having a lousy government, is a self-inflicted wound. I keep practicing with my bow, and y'all keep voting for the lesser of two evils. And voting at all. Thing is, there's at least a chance that my self-inflicted wound will lead to a freezer full of venison. If we continue to participate in having a government, there is no chance that that self-inflicted wound will yield anything but pain and misery. Because, if you notice, that's all it ever does. Regardless of which of the two sides wins these silly pro-wrestling shows that we call elections. And it is just a silly pro-wrestling show. And I'm not the first to point this out either, not by a long shot. Among others was the late, great H.L. Mencken, who wrote this in a work published in 1956, which was based upon his notebook, so this commentary is older than that because Mr. Mencken died in January of 1956. But anyway, Mr. Mencken wrote... The main thing that every political campaign in the United States demonstrates is that the politicians of all parties, despite their superficial enmities, are really members of one great brotherhood. Their principal and and indeed their sole object, is to collar public office with all the privileges and profits that go therewith. They achieve this collaring by buying votes with other people's money. No professional politician is ever actually in favor of public economy. It is his implacable enemy, and he knows it. All professional politicians are dedicated wholeheartedly to waste and corruption. They are the enemies of every decent man. This was true now. This was true in 1956 when it was published, and it was true whenever it happened to be that Mr. Mencken actually wrote it. Politicians, and by extension the government itself, is the enemy of every decent and productive man because it is productive men who fund the waste and corruption that is and defines government at all levels. And I do mean all levels. Hell, I just got dinged with a penalty for not making quarterly payments on my municipal income taxes. And I live in what's technically a large town or a small city. And near as I can tell, all I do with my tax money is hire a bunch of cops we don't need and put up fancy signs downtown to let people know they're downtown. You know, just in case the old-ass buildings, one-way streets, and traffic density weren't enough to give it away. Whether they're in charge of a town of 39,000 people or a nation of 360-some million, People in government will invariably waste the money they're put in charge of because that's just simply the way government works. It's just how it's structured. Mr. Macon was correct then, and his words still ring true all these years later. Because, regardless of whether they claim to be liberal, conservative, or laughably progressive, All politicians, first and foremost, serve the state and its oligarchs. It's not about what eventual benefits we serfs may or may not recognize from their actions in office. It's about concentrating power within the government itself and thereby making us all more dependent upon it. How the two, quote, parties sell this to their constituents varies only in the language used. The intended outcome is always the same. So the liberals, particularly these uh, new so-called progressives, sell to their believers this notion that it is the nasty it's nasty old capitalism and these evil corporations that are holding them back and keeping them poor. So the people then must put their trust, as well as their livelihoods and freedoms, into the hands of Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, both landslide winners Tuesday, so that they might go forth and fight those greedy capitalists. Likewise, the conservatives sell their base on the notion that Muslim terrorists are ever lurking around every corner and a tsunami of brownish people is just about to come crashing across that southern border and the only way to stop them from taking all their jobs and raping all their women folk is for conservatives to put their trust, money, and liberty into the hands of Ted Cruz, a more narrow winter Tuesday, and folks like him. Do you see the glaring similarity here? Each of the so-called two different parties of the exact same damn government we've had for decades wants the same thing from its tax slaves, their continued unquestioning support, their continued serfdom. As long as we keep playing the game, they will always win. They're the only winners. Because, let's face it, there's nothing like public office. There's nothing like being government. If you're particularly unscrupulous... What's there not to like about a job that doesn't require any of those sorts of pesky results, efficiencies, or even a basic need to exist demonstrated that private sector jobs require? In government, your set has to spend all its money each year, never mind how, so that the original gangsters above it will give your crew as big or an even bigger budget next year. In the private sector, you have to actually allocate and manage your resources carefully and effectively, or you just won't be around next fiscal year. So the latter is obviously much more stressful. Plus, in the private sector, you actually have to convince people that they want to do business with you. All the government has to do is make doing business with them seem preferable to having someone with a gun stuff you into a cage. And that's really not that tough of a sell in most cases. So, in the end, awful people gravitate toward government work and the government exists only to make itself and those crony corporations that fund most of its evil, the oligarchs, more powerful. That's why, no matter which flavor of politician is speaking, they're all simply begging us to give them more power over our lives. Well, not so much begging. Not anymore. That's too obvious. They use the hobgoblins Mr. Mencken mentioned ages ago to menace us and to get us to beg it to save us from whatever that hobgoblin is. Again, the right uses brownish people, the left uses capitalism. Point is, no matter which way the vote goes, the only entity to actually benefit is, again, the government, and then, by extension, the oligarchs. This is what makes the garishly overwhelming victory by Ocasio-Cortez so troubling, really. Probably the most troubling single event of the entire election. Either this woman knows how the game is actually played and is the most loyal servant the oligarchs have ever had, or she actually believes the imbecility she spews and is just the most unwittingly loyal servant of the oligarchs there may have ever been. In any event... All of our ideas call for the government to be granted more power and control over more aspects of our lives than even Obama would have dared try to take. Because all of our ideas involve bringing more and more aspects of our lives and existence and therefore the money needed to fund them under the government's control. The government of course only exists to serve the oligarchs, so the more new powers the government gets, the more new access to our lives and money the oligarchs have available to buy from the government. That's what lobbyists and campaign donations and super PACs are for. What's so worrisome is that so many Americans, at least in New York's 14th Congressional Districts, which is parts of the Bronx and Queens, are so easily duped. She didn't win their votes by telling them, hey, I'm going to put more of your life up for sale to the crony corporations who control the government. No. She told them instead a lie. She told them that she's going to somehow take money away from those oligarchs and give it to the serfs. I mean, it's a great message for sure. It obviously worked. That so many people in those boroughs could be so duped into believing such a silly and obvious lie is a bit troubling. But then, Bernie has been selling Vermonters that same snake oil for decades now, and they keep buying it up. As much as I might be an analog dinosaur in this digital age, I'm well enough connected to social media to know it's not just within parts of the Bronx and Queens and up in Vermont that this message the so-called progressives have is popular. It was a close race in Florida that Andrew Gillum, another so-called progressive, lost. Beto O'Rourke gave Ted Cruz all they could handle in Texas by running on another so-called progressive platform. For the most part, younger millennials and this Generation Z are the ones eating it up. And I chalk that up to the public indoctrination system of this nation doing its job. Not for nothing, the government has long controlled the schools and the government keeps getting bigger and more powerful, vastly outgrowing the limits set upon it by the Constitution that doesn't teach the kiddos much about these days. But then... That's why I offer this free public service. I'm here to help you unlearn all the terrible, self-serving lies the government took 14,000 hours to beat into your skulls K-12. through All the lies that the mainstream media the government largely controls tries to reinforce. The first and biggest of those lies is a lie of omission. They never ever tell you that you own your own body outright. Of course they don't. They can't even afford to have the kiddos even start off down that path in terms of thinking. But, and I hope you're not hearing it here first... But, if you are a Homo sapiens sapiens, you actually own your entire whole body outright. You also own all the labor it performs, and so, therefore, are solely entitled to whatever fruits may come therefrom. You have the right to own the property needed to sustain and protect your life. No government can grant you these rights. They are already yours by virtue of being human. All any government does is repress those basic rights to varying degrees, government to government. The government we have wants to utterly subjugate us to the greatest extent possible so that we remain focused solely on being good tax slaves. The U.S. economy, and therefore much of the world economy and the well-being of the oligarchs, is based upon the Federal Reserve continuing to issue Federal Reserve notes in the form of U.S. dollars. Those only have what so-called value they do because of the government's ability to tax us to repay the Fed. So it needs us tax slaves to carry on slaving away. And therefore, obviously, the less we know about what's actually going on, the better. That's why the kids are taught exactly nothing about the Federal Reserve in school. They're taught only what it is useful for the government to have them believe. And they are taught to believe without question. Questions lead to independent thinking, and that's a problem. As far as the government is concerned, the less distracted we are by our own ideas, the better. The more we trust the messages the government provides and distrust people like me, the better. The point of 14,000 hours of indoctrination in public school is to crowd out all other ideas about how and what government and life in the USA is about, to leave us unable to question anything and therefore unaware of the extent to which the government controls us all. And better still for the government if we tax slaves think things are actually the other way around, that we control our government and can vote these bums out and replace them at our will. And every election, just like earlier this week, there's a large plurality of Americans very much animated to do just that. And so they do. And they replace those bums with others that are just like them, because the system only attracts bums to begin with. So it's not really the bums, it's the system. And the ones who actually control the system are perfectly happy to have us all getting animated over these biennial bum fights while they carry on using our own choices to help themselves to more and more of our liberty. So the big takeaway really is what the oligarchs themselves learned from us about how well the propaganda has been working. They've learned from Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and from Andrew Gillum's and Beto O'Rourke's decent numbers despite losing that more and more Americans are increasingly receptive to the idea of handing over healthcare options and most of their income and other liberties to the oligarchs. As always, the only winner in this election, just like every other one, is the government itself. At least, that's how I've thought Tuesday night through on my own, after opening up my word processor and turning off the radio and TV and closing the social media tabs. That is after I disregarded the prevailing taboos and superstitions. And well, it was just that sort of behavior that the man whose magazine is the namesake for this blog and podcast believed made a man the most dangerous sort there is to his government. And so, I encourage you all to try that out for yourselves about whatever the issue of the week turns out to be. Turn it all off. The mainstream media, social media, alternative news sites... Disregard even everything else I said in the preceding 17 or so minutes after I added out all the coughing fits and the various gaps and flubs. And just think whatever it is you've been presented with by the government and the media through for yourselves. So thank you all for listening. I'll be back, it'll probably be Thursday again next week, and then hopefully back to Wednesdays. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But until next time, I encourage you all to be dangerous.